This is Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin by Star Bridget, part two of the Mirror of Erised series. Chapter three, T.M. Riddle. Draco didn't know what to expect of the trip on the Hogwarts Express, but he knew that any invitation from the Grangers to go watch Arsenal play the kicking game had not been forthcoming. He told himself over and over that he was not upset at the thought of Mr and Mrs Granger having watched his father and judged him by it. It wasn't like he could blame them. He had frozen up, without doing a thing to show any opposition, allowing the Malfoys to put up a united front. He didn't have the nerve to mention the arsenal in his two remaining letters to Hermione before September, and she didn't mention it either. He was pathetically relieved then to run into her on the train, and have her enfold him in a hug and go, Hello, Frankenstein. She was the one to pull away first for once, though. They turned to see Ron and Potter seated in her compartment. Ron's tattered old rat perched on his shoulder looking none too happy to see Draco either. Ron, Harry, say hello. Yeah, hello, Ron said weakly, and Potter grunted. I'm sorry. Draco said, and closed the door behind them, feeling only slightly less anxious than last year when he had hallucinated being chased down the corridor out of the train by Fiendfire. I'm sorry, okay? My father was out of line. I know that. I'm sorry I didn't step in. He looked at Potter as he said that, since Potter had seemed the one to most expect Gryffindor heroics out of him. Potter had been staying at the burrow this last stretch of summer, and him and Ron would have had ample time to work themselves up into a lather about Draco if they wanted. For once, Draco might have preferred pity to the dislike in Potter's eyes facing him now. Children took everything so seriously. Draco himself had used to cry and cry over losing to Potter at Quidditch, and even over arguments with Potter he hadn't felt he won. Small things felt bigger when the choices you made didn't end in life and death, or torture and freedom. What was your father doing in Nocturnally? Potter finally asked. Draco looked to Hermione, but she was just sitting down and staring out the window with a discontented sigh. Draco didn't strictly know, per se, uncertain whether it might have involved father's plans for the Chamber of Secrets, but even the official reason from father was one he couldn't just spit out. Ron, your father, you know I can't tell you all because your father is... What? Potter protested. Mr Weasley might succeed in one of his raids on your manor. You told us your father was a Death Eater. If all the Death Eaters get caught, then maybe the Dark Lord won't ever be able to come back. Draco, what side are you on? Draco had thought he had answered that definitively, going down the trapdoor with Potter let alone with how he had taken Weasley's place as the Black Knight. To have to answer it again, so unceremoniously, before he even made it back to Hogwarts, was stinging. He's my father, Potter. What do you expect me to do? Trust Ron won't tell his father anything, or what? Start passing Ron information for his father to ruin my family? It was counterproductive letting himself get angry at them, though, when he knew it would only cement their sense of wounded outrage against him, 
I'm sorry, really, but you're asking too much of me. Draco, Ron said slowly and softly. Did you think it might be better for you if your father did go down? Hermione already told us. Potter went on that you wrote to say you're sorry. But you're asking too much of us to just accept your father followed the man who killed my parents and you'll still protect him. My parents, Draco. Please, if you know something, I think you have to. I don't have to do anything you tell me, Potter. Draco spat out tightly and went right back out of the compartment. He walked slowly, thinking it was because he was so angry he had to recover his composure. But, at his disappointment at no bushy brown hair appearing behind, he realised he had been lingering in the hopes that Hermione would run after him and join him, or at least call out something. He took the rest of the corridor to the back of the train, in half-self-righteous, half-self-castigating silence, because of course he was holding on to a secret likely tied to his father that would endanger not just Girl Weasley, but Hermione. But they didn't know that. And so it was he ended up in the last compartment once again, despite all the things he had thought had changed in the intervening twelve months here in the Red Line. He wished he had his trunk, because he wanted to get out the notebooks, scrutinise the second one cover to cover, as if that would show him something different on the umpteenth time show him some incredible insight he'd never realised about the blue loop. But he practically knew it by heart anyway. There was no answer, other than the Chamber of Secrets opening and closing again. Hello, a light, airy voice said from behind him, and Draco whirled around, only to find the compartment not unoccupied this time. Love good! Draco gasped before he could help it grabbing onto the side of the train cabin to steady himself as a very miniature version of the token Ravenclaw in Dumbledore's army swam into view before him. The girl he had seen almost every day for weeks on end, when she had been locked in the manner he had only just left. The girl who had smiled at him every time he visited, even when he missed a day, or had no news to give her from the outside world. Even when she had seen or knew he'd had to use the Cruciatus curse on someone else in their dungeons. He didn't remember her as a child at all. He'd never noticed a Ravenclaw a year under him until fifth year, when he'd seen her start hanging around Potter. She was instantly recognisable, though, not just by the white blonde colour of her wispy hair, as rare and pale as his, but by that patient smile. Yes she said with a smile. I'm Luna Lovegood. It's a pleasure to meet you. She didn't ask how he'd known her name, which made him fear she knew something until he remembered she had been called Loony Lovegood for a reason, absolutely batty by all accounts. Even if over that year there at Malfoy Manor, she'd seemed calmer and saner than anyone else under that roof. I, I, I have to, you... Love good, you... I have to go! Draco stammered and fled from the compartment before his breathing hitched and slowed and eventually began to falter. He couldn't find any empty compartment, so eventually he pushed his way into one with Slytherin second years, Vince and Greg along with Blaze, who was watching them consume their customary mountain of sweets from the trolley with absent indulgence, sitting exactly where Draco had once sat. They looked up 
alarmed at the sound of his hitching breath and the slamming door, only to look scared when they saw who had so unceremoniously intruded on them. Draco, I swear, whatever Theo told you, I haven't been talking anything bad about you this summer, Blaze began, as if Draco's heavy breathing was nothing but a sign of incredible anger primed to explode upon him. Draco managed to fasten a baleful glare on him. I know what you did, Blaze. Get out of my sight while you still can. The three of them fled, without even remembering their candy. He was more surprised when neither Vince nor Greg tried to sneak back for any of it. He looked over at Luna Lovegood as they approached the flying carriages to Hogwarts, knowing her to be one of the few others who might see the Thestrals. Sure enough, the rumours of her looniness, certainly not unfounded but ridiculously overblown, might be starting now, as a knot of other girls who looked Ravenclaw-bound looked appalled at what to them was Lovegood cooing and petting the air. He took a long, deep breath of night air, breathing in the pure magic that seemed to radiate from anywhere near Hogwarts, and finished what remained of his breakdown to breathe normally again, while mentally mocking the ignorant girls watching Lovegood. Though, in fairness to them, even if they could have seen the Thestrals like Draco could, it still made a very strange sight. He slipped into a carriage with the Slytherin second-year boys, and only when the carriage had lifted off, did he realise the air of petrification that had taken over the carriage upon his arrival? Theo, in particular, looked queasy, while Blaze had the same wariness as when he'd fled the compartment. Vince and Greg looked scared, in their less expressive way of being tainted with guilt by association. Draco was filled with exasperation at himself, for finding no better way to clear himself a carriage than going right back to menacing his housemates. That item of improved relations with fellow Slytherins was off to a rousing start. Draco was content to let the silence reign, mentally trying to calculate how long Potter and Ron, if not also Hermione, might stay mad at him, and if it would be enough for them to stop sitting at their study table. But his reverie broken by Theo blurting, Draco, I didn't mean it! Draco let out an aggravated sigh. Was he about to be obliged to curse a fellow Slytherin on his very first night back, just to keep up the protection his reputation gave him? Didn't mean what, Theo? You'll have to be far more specific. Whatever was in Draco's tone seemed to convince them he knew everything. Typical Slytherins, not trusting the others not to blab, rightfully so, given Blaze had attempted to sell out Theo on the train to save himself. They all started talking at once, so Draco silenced them instantly by taking out his unmistakable bent wand from his pocket. One person at a time, gentlemen. Since you bring it up, I would be disappointed not to have you satisfy my curiosity. Blaze, coming forward first, gave him the right to squeal first. What was said about me, Blaze? Nothing bad, really. Blaze said quickly, glancing around rapidly. Just that. It's true that you are a queer, whatever your father tells ours, because you fancy Theo. Draco couldn't help smiling in relief, when the word to come out after fancy was not Potter. Oh, and did you concur in this assessment, Theo? Did you find yourself at pains last year to resist my unwelcome advances? Theo withered at his sarcasm, 
Vincent Gregg, did you have any part in these discussions? They had never shaken their heads so quickly. They did, Theo protested. Blaze started it. Great. If he cursed one, he would have to curse them all. What have I told you all about when people run their tongues telling lies about me or my associates? I was fully prepared to come in this year and be civil and respectful to all of you, despite how laughably far you are behind my magical level and power. But you see fit to amuse yourself, gossiping about me anyway like besotted schoolgirls. I'm disappointed to call you Slytherins. If you're going to risk your tongues running your mouths about me, at least risk it for something interesting. They'll know it was you, Blaze blurted, only to raise his hands immediately in apology when it drew Draco's gaze to him. Relax, Blaze, Draco drawled. We're not at school yet. So I think I can be merciful for once, only once. They seemed scared enough already to suffice. If you repeat such behaviour, however, the consequences will be more severe. He enjoyed using Severus's emphasis and intonation and watching its effect on them. But this once, a warning should suffice since, after all. What you were saying is true. Draco only realised they had misunderstood when he got off their carriage first and offered Theo a reflexive hand off, only for Theo to recoil from it like Draco had been wearing his snake watch and it had sprang at him. With the Chamber of Secrets reopening and snakes a live issue, Draco had thought it politic to hide away that enchanted snake watch, giving its tendency to uncoil and even hiss at times. But without it, Theo jumped back like a venomous viper had started upon him. Oh, come on, Theo, relax. I didn't mean the first part was true. Draco groaned. I don't fancy you. I fancy someone else already, as a matter of fact, and find none of you remotely worthy of my attentions. So there is no need to be fearful for your precious pure blood virtue. I meant the second part is true, that I'm gay. Once they all climbed off, he levelled them with a paralysing stare that kept them lined up beside the carriage. I'm telling you all now, openly, reconfirming it directly. And if word spreads to my father, it will be through one of you and your parents, and I'll know. But I won't know which and I won't care enough to try to figure it out. So I suggest you begin exhibiting more of a Slytherin circumspection. He was the subject of more curious than fearful or even judgmental stares after that, though, particularly from Blaze, for whom all sorts of recent peril never seemed to dent his natural self-possessed smugness. Who do you fancy, Draco? It was like they had never stopped being friends for Blaze to feel he had the right to ask. Draco remained annoyed and silent through their arrival in the Great Hall and the sorting, which was less stressful but also less fun than last year, as he could only predict for sure from memory the Slytherins, except for Lovegood to Ravenclaw, whom the sight of sent chills through him once again, 
her bright hair rendering her a beacon of uneasiness even once she sat. When he looked up from picking at his food to hear Blaze pestering him again about who he fancied, he regretted volunteering that information, but there was no help for it. If he didn't provide an alternative, Blaze was smart enough to suspect it was Harry Potter. You really want to know? Knowledge is a burden if sharing it holds consequences not worth the risk of knowing. Pansy and Millie seemed to have been briefed as well, so Draco delivered them his trademark tongue-to-roof-of-mouth hand duster and watched them quiver. Tell us which boy you fancy! Pansy demanded anyway, her pug nose scrunched up with indescribable unhappiness. Draco gave it a thought, looking behind him. He seized on a figure he may have been seen staring at by his housemates before, albeit for worse reasons than they could ever suspect. Cedric Diggory, he said nonchalantly. A Hufflepuff? Theo practically yelled, before putting a hand over his mouth. Draco snorted. Only children put such undue value on arbitrary groupings like the houses, he said loftily. Theo muttered under his breath to Vince something like he wouldn't be saying that if his sorting hadn't taken half an hour. He's a brilliant seeker, you know, and fit as hell. That's the kind of man I would fancy, not a runt like Theo. So, you like seekers, do you? Blaze said with a knowing look Draco wanted to curse off his face, only to go silent suddenly then, his face contorting with distaste. Draco, Hermione said, who had somehow been brave enough to march right up to Slytherin with an unworried face. Draco, I'm sorry about on the train. There was this book I wanted to show you. Could you come? There never would have been a world in the blue loop where this behaviour by a muggle-born would have passed with so little amazement, let alone censure by the Slytherins, who were turning to witness this incredible incursion at their table. But the threat Draco carried from last year seemed to keep them almost fully silent. Come on then, Hermione, let's go, he said loudly, taking her arm as he got up to show them all that he could do as he liked because none of them were powerful enough to make him care about their opinions. It was deja vu up to a certain point, having been coaxed here by Hermione once before to show them all her book which told about Nicholas Flamel, and he had to wait in the Gryffindor common room despite his attempts to follow her past it because, as she crossly told him, just because everyone in the school knew he was gay still didn't mean a boy should be in the girls' dormitory. He sat himself in one of the furthest armchairs from the fireplace, drawing up his legs in hopes of avoiding attention completely before she returned. He hadn't been imagining the greater share of stares and dirty looks they'd gotten for a Slytherin in Gryffindor Tower than last year, though. Hermione had just told him to ignore it, and no one really cared anyway. Last time, though, he had been a first year, inherently more unthreatening than any year above, and in the presence of their token Gryffindor Saint Potter, whom they all so rarely dared question. What are they so terrified of? Draco complained to Hermione before she left him. They saw Dumbledore giving me all those points for helping you. And win Slytherin the House Cup, Hermione said reasonably. You think that endeared you to them more? Everyone just thought you did something sneaky and underhanded to cheat your way into those points. 
So Draco stayed absolutely silent, waiting for Hermione as unnoticed as he could make himself before scanning for potential threats made him notice someone else in turn. Girl Weasley seated also alone, also in a chair she seemed to have chosen to remain unnoticed in, possibly avoiding her brothers there by the fireplace. She looked overwhelmed by her first day, and her very young face was tired and unsuspecting as she pulled the diary from her bag and opened it. In that moment, Draco stopped living in his body. Everything went into the air and down into that diary, magnetic and ruinous, because he knew that plain leather book. He'd seen it before. Seen it in Potter's hands this year, jealously guarded by him with Girl Weasley nearby involved somehow. But that was indistinct compared to the memory that made him sure. It had sat in the corner of the case in the manor where he had found his wand. A place no one but the elves, even Draco, was allowed into. It had sat in the corner of the case in the manor where he had found his wand. A place no one but the elves, even Draco, was allowed into. With those gems and a katana and a wand suffused in evil. And whatever was in that journal that made it worth keeping, worth storing in a place like that, worth taking the trouble to surreptitiously slip to a Weasley on her way to Hogwarts. Draco knew what it would do, if not how, but that should have meant nothing. He looked around in an absent stupor until his eyes fastened on Hermione, coming down the stairs in an excited rush, her arms weighed down by a book far too heavy for her. From a distance he couldn't read its full title, but there was something at the end of it about house elves. Here, Draco, Hermione called. I've got it. And at the same time, Draco got to his feet, stepped over to the Weasley girl, and ripped the diary from her hands. Hey! Girl Weasley protested, drawing the attention of her brothers and Potter too. Draco realised with a stab of fear. He hadn't seen Potter sitting with them. What are you doing? This diary? Draco told her, is evil. I'm taking it away from you so you can be safe. Draco headed for the common room door and made it out past the fat lady without being touched. He thought somehow, against expectation, that the Gryffindors would have listened and left it at that, but he had been dreaming. Not that this was the way he would have chosen to do this if he'd planned it at all. Draco! Hermione's voice was the first to call as he hurried down the stairs he knew went the quickest to the dungeons, but Potter's touch was the first to impact. Draco couldn't stop him from pushing him against the stone wall on the landing, but he did keep the old leather clenched in firmly in his hand. Draco, what are you doing? Let me pass! Draco hissed and drew his wand before Potter could prevent it. Potter stepped off raising his hands and backing away, but not very far, and followed right at Draco's side as Draco started down the next flight of stairs. Think you can just steal our sister's stuff, Malfoy? One of the twins' angry voices called from disconcertingly close. Draco snarled. I'm trying to keep her safe, you idiots! I'm trying to protect her from this! And waved the diary in the air. Ginny said you said it was evil! Hermione said fearfully, coming up breathless at the rear. What do you mean? Draco, where are you taking it? Draco was too panicked to keep up his usual guard. 
I'm taking it to Severus. He'll know what to do with it. To who? went Hermione and then frowned. Do you mean Professor Snape? Severus will take care of it. Just leave me alone. I'll handle it. Draco spat at them. And when Ron put up a hand to the twins, Draco hoped they had seen reason. But no, Ron was just sending them off. Hey, will you guys make sure Ginny is okay? We can take it from here. We know Draco, Ron said, and the twins went, worry for their sister seeming to outweigh the desire to pummel Draco. So much concern, as if Draco had done anything more than snatch a dark object away from her at risk to his own person. Whatever that is, Draco, Potter said, getting in front of him at the bottom of the stairs. We're not taking it to Professor Snape. If you really think there's something wrong with it, then you can take it to be looked at. But we're going to Professor Dumbledore. Draco would have preferred Severus, for the greater honesty and trust he could exercise, not to speak of his own personal history with Dumbledore in the Blue Loop, and the man's overall notorious favouritism towards Gryffindors. But Dumbledore had been bizarrely kind when he found Draco cursing the mirror of Erised, and awarded Draco all those points for selfless courage, so maybe Draco could trust him to hear him out, and Potter wasn't budging. Thankfully, Dumbledore was there in his office when the four of them arrived, but unfortunately, McGonagall proved to be there as well, startled from the timetables they had seemed to be looking over on Dumbledore's desk by Potter's banging. Dumbledore opened the door to four panting, angry second years, two of whom were still brandishing their wands. At the sight of the professors, though, Draco hastily put away his wand, and Potter followed. "'Headmaster!' Draco said with a year of practising of speaking calmly, even without much breath. We apologise for disturbing you so late at night, and if we have to be out past curfew, would it be possible to send for Professor Snape to join us? What on earth could be the matter? McGonagall sniffed, before looking mollified by the presence of three of her Gryffindors. Mr Potter, what is the meaning of this? I have something to show you, Headmaster Dumbledore. Professor McGonagall, please look, Draco said. Only we need Professor Snape, please. And against Ron's protests, Dumbledore nodded slowly, face turning grave, and walked backward in his office. He touched a great red bird Draco had not seen perched up there before. Gryffindor coloured, with its crimson broken up by golden feathers on its beak and undersides the famous phoenix of Dumbledore's, whose name Draco could not have recalled at this moment if Voldemort was asking with a wand to his forehead. After a whisper from his master, the phoenix flew away, presumably to summon Severus, and McGonagall was beckoning all of them to stand in front of Dumbledore's desk. Now then, Draco, Dumbledore said, resuming his seat behind his desk, what is so urgent for us to see? Draco dropped the notebook down in front of him, though it felt dangerous to take his hands off it for a second, knowing all the potential wrapped up in it, and Merlin, he wished he hadn't done this on a whim and had a plan for this. A diary? Dumbledore said with a frown, before staring with more interest at the cover and the year on it. Empty, except... He flipped through the pages, peering down through his spectacles and stopped at the very first page. He didn't read it aloud, but something in the very air of the office changed at once. 
When he turned to show it to McGonagall, Draco managed to read upside down the name T.M. Riddle. It seemed to mean something to McGonagall too, as her face went from irked, but curious, to solemn as the grave. Draco, Dumbledore said, closing the diary, where did you find this? Ginny, Draco said, Ginny Weasley, she had it, I saw. Don't put this on my sister, she hasn't done anything bad, Ron complained, before Dumbledore raised a hand to forestall him. Draco pulled every occlumency shield into place he had, envisioning his mind as an impenetrable dagger like Aunt Bella had taught him. Your mind is a blade, not a thing that gets cut. This is the young Miss Weasley's diary? Dumbledore asked. He had looked less shaken that night on the astronomy tower, but Draco couldn't afford to think of that. Is there really something wrong with it, Headmaster? Hermione asked earnestly, though anyone with an ounce of observational skill could have already told from Dumbledore and McGonagall's reactions. But she took a step back, face falling as she crossed her arms in front of herself protectively. Draco stole a glance at her, but dared not to try to catch her eye. It is too soon to tell, Dumbledore intoned, clearly lying, and then turned his spectacled gaze on Draco with that frightening cleverness, bright blue eyes gone from sparkling to bearing a warning in them. Draco, why did you think this diary might be, what did you call it, evil? Is Severus coming? Draco asked nervously, looking around, and McGonagall frowned. Why would you refer to your head of house in such a fashion? She began, but again. Dumbledore held up a hand with those eyes that said he already knew everything, past and future. Severus is Draco's godfather, Dumbledore said calmly, and Draco's attempts to think of a good lie fell away. He turned to Potter's trio, hoping somehow Hermione had already guessed and wouldn't care, or that none of them would find this information important. Snape's your godfather, Ron echoed in disbelief. Snape! Is that why he favours you so much in class? Draco, why didn't you tell us? Hermione sounded so dismayed, Draco felt a wave of guilt. So that's why you were so sure he wasn't after the stone last year? Potter said in disbelief, but you didn't say anything, even when we thought he was trying to get the stone for Voldemort. Draco fought off the urge to berate him for saying the name. You would just have thought he was more guilty, he yelled, knowing confrontational was the worst approach he could take, but unable to hide his sense of unfairness. Because he's tied to my family, you would never have. How many things have you not told us? "'Gentlemen?' Dumbledore cut in, with a voice that seemed to make both his and Potter's die instantly in their throats. "'We should attend to the matter at hand. Draco, what alerted you to the possibility of dark magic in an object so benign as a first year's diary?' He could have said he saw it in Malfoy Manor, or saw his father putting it in the Weasley girl's cauldron. But that never felt like an option. My wand! Draco blurted for the lack of anything else in the world to say. 
My wand started, I don't know, reacting to it. I got a feeling from it there was something awful nearby, something worse than any magical object I've encountered. My wand seemed to know it. Your wand? Dumbledore echoed. May I see your wand, Mr Malfoy? Draco handed over his wand with a slowly fading sense of hope, telling himself there was no way Dumbledore could prove Draco personally had not felt any sensation earlier, even if there were no physical signs now. A fascinating wand, Dumbledore said, and hope became more difficult. Did you get this at Ollivander's, Mr Malfoy? When would Severus be here? He wouldn't have let this go so far. He knew he would keep Draco from having to say in front of the Gryffindors, Mr Malfoy? It was from Ollivander's, Draco said tightly. He could feel the trio watching him tently along with the professors as if something dark was about to come careening uncontrollably out of him. Was this always your wand, Mr Malfoy, or did it ever have another owner? No, I mean yes, no to the first, yes to the second. Ah, uh, Ollivander didn't sell it to me. Who did he sell it to, Mr Malfoy? Dumbledore asked, voice gone solid and pressing. Draco stared down at his hands, feeling a buzzing at his fingers. Aunt Bella, Draco said very softly, hoping only Dumbledore would hear and the others wouldn't understand if they did. Pardon? McGonagall asked, leaning forward and there was no help for it. My aunt, Draco said, lifting his chin and facing them defiantly because he was a Malfoy and he would not cringe and scrape before Gryffindors, even Dumbledore. Bellatrix Lestrange! Draco turned to see the trio's reactions before the professors and was gratified to see Potter and Hermione look blank, but Ron's face was a mask of horror. Draco, he stammered. Did you... did you say Bellatrix Lestrange? The Bellatrix Lestrange? You can wield the wand of Bellatrix Lestrange, McGonagall said in a choked sort of voice, watching him like a hawk. She might have taught Aunt Bella at school. Maybe she was looking for similarities in them. It responds to you as its owner, Draco nodded. By all appearances, McGonagall hadn't known, nor had Dumbledore. The only teacher who had arrived just too late. He let himself into the office with a grave face, only for it to curdle in disgust at the sight of Potter. To what do I owe thee summons, headmaster? Severus's face changed only when he saw the wand in Dumbledore's hands. It was a shock to think Severus might have kept the fact from Dumbledore. But then Draco hadn't thought it important, and Severus might not have either, except Draco, with this amateurish lie, had just made it very important. Mr Malfoy, Dumbledore said, has brought us this diary, originally belonging to one Ginevra Weasley. He insisted we send for you as well. Severus, do you know anything about this? 
he passed the diary to Severus, who got a more guarded look once he read the first page. And then he turned back to stare down at Draco as he handed it to Dumbledore, looking so disappointed in him that Draco cursed the Gryffindors for stopping him from bringing it to Severus first and avoiding all this mess. He claims his wand to sense the dark magic in it, McGonagall told Severus. His wand was originally owned by Bellatrix Lestrange, a family heirloom, we take it. Draco didn't argue. And Severus didn't bother to pretend to be surprised, though that lack of reaction drew an outraged noise from Potter behind him. That is quite impossible, Severus said. Did you perform any detection spells, any magic on this book at all? Draco shook his head weakly. Simply having been owned and used by a witch or wizard in the past, however dark or powerful, has never been known to grant any special sense of dark magic without spells or incantations. Draco eyed him with betrayal, though he should have known Severus, when put on the spot, would never back up Draco's feeble lie. Boy, Severus said flatly, how did you know about this? Draco stared up pleadingly, but no help was forthcoming. Then Potter stepped forward. It could have something to do with his father. When I went to get my school supplies, sir... The flu powder sent me to the wrong place at Diagon Alley, and I ended up in a shop called Borgen and Burke's. And I got you out of there, you ungrateful worm. Draco was there with his father. He said his father was a dark wizard, so he was at a dark magic shop. And we ran into them again at Flourishing Blocks. There was a fight between Mr Malfoy and Mr Weasley. Mr Malfoy was touching Ginny's books. Headmaster, I think Mr Malfoy might have bought this diary at Borgen and Burke's and slipped it to Ginny out of revenge, because he hates Mr Weasley. So close and yet so far, Potter, though close enough to damn me. How like you, Mr Potter, Severus said warningly, to strike up tales out of nothing and make scurrilous accusations without any evidence. But Potter had turned to Draco, his Avada Kedavra eyes unshakable, like that liquid green had Veritaserum in its mix. Did you know what he was going to do? Potter asked Draco, eyes pleading with him to say no. Did you only realise this now? Or have you just changed your mind because you don't want to see Ginny dead? It won't kill her, you vapid scarhead, unless you fail to save her. I'm not lying, Potter. My wand is what sensed it. I've never seen that diary before. Draco, Ron said, grabbing his arm. You expect us to believe that? When you were just telling us on the train that you wouldn't turn on your family for us? I get why you're protecting him, Draco, but he's evil. He doesn't even care about you. He's terrible to you anyway. Draco wrenched his arm out of Ron's grasp, even though it was true. Maybe he had actually started to hope that Father was softening, that he had chosen to take a more constructive, collaborative approach to his newly matured son, with his willingness to accept Hermione as proof. But maybe, with time, Hermione might even somehow soften Father a bit when it came to Voldemort's ideology, as knowing her had done for Draco. But 
Father hadn't so much as seen Hermione anyway until Flourish and Blots. Potter was almost certainly right about what Father had done there. Draco had seen Father putting two books back into Ginny Weasley's cauldron. Potter had it almost all right, except for that the Malfoys had already had the diary. Draco was doubly glad he hadn't told the trio his father was at Borgen's selling rather than buying, in case one of them might guess this diary was the one artefact father had brought that he hadn't chosen to sell. And Draco found himself still thinking like this, organising the world around lies to protect father's secrets. Ron's words had stung, but they were true if father had still done this. He'd sent a monster after the muggle-borns at Hogwarts, when he knew what Hermione meant to Draco. Maybe this time he'd even done so partially to target her. Ron was telling the three professors about the raids his father had been conducting on Malfoy Manor, not that Draco had almost ever noticed up in his room reading with all kinds of silencing charms. He just stared off into space and tried to calculate how badly he'd just fucked up. Implicating his wand had fooled no one, it was just one more proof to anyone who somehow hadn't got the message yet that Draco was a dark wizard from a dark family. But it did give a lie to stick to. That had a virtue of its own, even if everyone knew it a lie. The disbelieved lie formed the most perfect kind of wall, stubborn and pointless, but impassable in front of the truth. Mr Malfoy, Dumbledore said, are you sure? that there was nothing else about the diary that alerted you to its true nature. I know this may be hard for you, but we must know everything possible in order to properly handle something as dangerous as I fear this diary may be. Had you seen it, or anything like it before? McGonagall asked bluntly. Severus looked mutinous, but Draco caught Severus's eye, pleading wordlessly for him to be silent. He knew Severus was about to snap something about not forcing Draco to incriminate himself, which would just make him look irrevocably guilty. No, Draco said, though he felt his acting skills almost dried up. He didn't have it in him to give the wide-eyed innocent act any more, to give anything but this dull glumness resigned to playing the villain. It shouldn't matter. And it didn't, in the grand scheme of things, if it kept the chamber from ever opening. Maybe the passive approach was better on paper, but practically, the chances that everything would unfurl exactly as before was too narrow. There was his friendship with Hermione altering her routine, her motions, her moods, any slight change in anything that could be that razor-edge difference between the basilisk just petrifying or killing. And maybe that was the realisation that had sent him snatching the diary seeing her with the book smiling at him. He was too weak to let himself take that risk with the only friend he, in the world he had. Had, only in past tense, perhaps. Thank you, Mr Malfoy, Dumbledore said finally, after waiting for Draco to change his answer, long enough that no one in the room could have missed that Dumbledore didn't believe him. We will keep this book and investigate it thoroughly. Inform Miss Weasley that she must regrettably find herself another diary. I could buy her one, Draco said weakly, a better one. And Ron sighed. You think that's what she'll want after this? He asked wearily. More presents from your family? 
Ron had come around to believing Potter's version of events, it seemed. It wouldn't be hard, with how ostentatiously Father had looked at Girl Weasley's books, taking and putting them back, even starting a fight, with what had to be the intention of making it possible in the chaos. Draco wouldn't doubt it in Ron's shoes. Sometimes Father had the subtlety of a hippogriff in mating season. Ron, Hermione said warningly. No one spoke for a long moment while Draco tried to think of a way to offer the money for it that wouldn't make Ron just think worse for him. Well, Dumbledore concluded, I think this has been more than enough excitement for one night. Draco, thank you for bringing this to our attention. With your cleverness, you may have just saved a young girl's life. Hermione's, not Girl Weasley's. I'd sooner not save Girl Weasley's if I had a choice. Ron, you may explain it to your sister tonight, but I think it's past time all of you get back to bed in your respective houses. Minerva, Severus, if you wouldn't mind escorting your students back to where they belong. Wait! Draco said and didn't take his wand back right away when Dumbledore held it out. It didn't seem he'd even have the chance to speak to the trio before they parted ways, let alone without professors listening. Please don't tell anyone about my wand. Right, you only wanted your godfather to know, Potter said bitterly. Please, Draco said again mortified by the begging note and his voice and knowing himself helpless to stop them saying anything regardless. Any sense of power to control what people said of him, like he'd felt on the carriage with the other Slytherins, couldn't have gone up more in smoke. Who is this? This person your wand is from? In the heat of the moment, it seemed Hermione had failed to pick up the name. You haven't read about her, Hermione? Ron marvelled before his gaze turned on Draco. She's his aunt, Bellatrix Lestrange, on his mother's side. She was one of Voldemort's most powerful followers. Mum. Mum told us about her brothers. My uncles. They both died in the war, he confessed, his voice painfully cracking. About Uncle Gideon and Uncle Fabian. They fought against the Dark Lord. She said it took five Death Eaters to take them down. But the only names she ever mentioned were Dolohov and Lestrange. Draco would never forget, until the day he died, the way Potter looked at him then. Come, Draco, said Severus, dragging him away. His arm remained draped over Draco's shoulders on the way down towards the dungeons, although less in an affectionate manner and more like he thought Draco might bolt. Boy, he said, stopping at the entrance to the Slytherin dungeons and taking him by the shoulders with a serious look. How did you know about the diary? Will you tell anyone? Draco asked. Will you tell Dumbledore? No, Severus said. Draco should have taken better self-protective instincts. He shouldn't have taken the risk of believing in anyone this much, even Severus. But after tonight, Severus felt like the only person who would believe a thing he said anyway. And Draco did have part of the truth that would prove explanation enough without things that locked his tongue to his mouth. It may assist me in dealing with the object, Severus added, and Draco took a deep breath. I saw father put it in the girl Weasley's cauldron at the bookstore, 
Draco said all in a rush. Behind her transfiguration book, like Potter said. But he didn't buy it at Borgins. He was selling off artefacts because of ministry raids, but I guess he didn't sell the diary with the others. I saw it last year, too, in the same case in the manor where I found Aunt Bella's wand. Severus's hands dropped from Draco's shoulders. And so, he sighed, from what I gather. You addressed this situation not by correcting it before it could do damage, not by surreptitiously slipping it out of the girl's things, which your friendship with Gryffindors could have granted you access to without even the need for magic, and then you could have brought it to me in secret. But... You unceremoniously seized the offending object from the hands of the girl inside Gryffindor Tower, in full view of her brothers, and stampeded to Dumbledore's office to regale him and McGonagall with lies so obvious they did not even fool the Lilliputian intellect of one Mr. Potter. Draco just looked up at him helplessly, and Severus gave a long sigh. But what can I expect? I forget sometimes you are only twelve years old. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin by Star Bridget.